The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in this week. I'm Elise Cortez, your host, dialing in from Dallas, which is my home base. I've absolutely enjoyed every week with you as I get to have deeply personal conversations with my guests about their lives, the major decisions they've made that have gotten them to where they are in their work, and what the journey has meant to them as a human being. So I get to talk with people all the time, off the radio and on, who tell me they desperately wish they knew what they were supposed to be doing for work, but just don't know what it is, but would like to know. Thank you very much. Um, a lot of them express regret and consternation that that fulfillment what they're looking for just isn't there. But at the other end of that spectrum, of course, I do get to encounter people who are very happy with their work and thank their lucky stars that they have it because it brings them profound meaning and purpose in their lives. So this show is really meant to bring you guests who are living in that letter camp in the hopes that you can gain some useful perspective or maybe an idea or two about your own work and how to navigate your own life to a greater level of fulfillment. So this week, we get to talk with someone who has worked really hard to stay true to his passion, despite the many challenges along the way. Blaine Wright is a professional horse trainer operating a public racing stable in Berkeley, California, and also at Golden Gate Fields in Auburn, Washington at Emerald Downs. Blaine currently trains 55 to 65 horses between these two locations, and he employs up to 25 people between these two states and goes back and forth between the states every week. Amazing. Um, he has raced horses up and down the West Coast from New Mexico to Arizona, California, Oregon, Washington, and Vancouver, Canada. Blaine's joining us today for the show from Berkeley, California. Blaine, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I've got a, a lot of things I want to learn about you. I think you have a very remarkable background and journey to get you to where you are. So, But to kick us off here, Blaine, just help us understand you're in a what I would consider to be a unique field because it's different from what I do, obviously. But what is involved in training a horse to race? Let's start there. Well, uh, it involves uh, a whole different uh, perspective than probably anybody can really fathom. Um, basically, these horses that I'm training, uh, they're obtained from several different ways. Some we buy as yearlings and uh, through sales, and some we uh, we breed ourselves and full and then we raise them and then uh but mainly every horse is broke at the age of year and a half to two years old and to ride and to handle and then usually i get them at the racetrack at generally about 20 months of age uh to be the youngest uh, before their first birthday and uh mainly you know you start with daily exercise and handling uh, when we start from point one 
we're, we usually train on the racetrack, which is a mile oval, and uh, they go both ways around the racetrack. In the United States, we we run um, counterclockwise, but in Europe, they run clockwise, so there is a difference there. But uh, mainly, we, we train them. We start out slow gallops, and then we increase their speed fitter and generally we get them up to race speed and they have workouts just like uh, any normal uh, sports profession would do um, it's certainly very similar to uh, training a young kid starting in fun league baseball all the way up into the majors that's that really is what uh, it, it's very similar to um, but we put together a program uh, exercise for the horse and from start to finish, when they're two years old, it usually takes about 120 days to get a horse race fit to race. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of continue on uh, in and out. Um, some horses can take more training than other horses, so that's my job as a trainer to read between the lines. Obviously, the animal cannot talk, so a big part of my job is reading body language and uh trying to figure out what makes that horse the happiest so I can get maximum effort out of them. Mm. Oh, my gosh. So what are some cues that a horse is happy? You know, I have to ask that, given what you just said there. What tells you that a horse is happy? You can see it in their eye if they're happy. Um, Also, uh, their ears are a very, very big part of um, one way we can tell they're happy or they're mad. When their ears are forward and they're looking at you, usually that means they're very inquisitive or they're happy about what you're doing. Um, Ways that you know that they're not happy is certainly when a horse's ears are pinned back. Uh, And sometimes when they cock one ear forward and one back or they have them both to the side or things like that, that kind of tells you the horse is doing some thinking. Um, But certainly their eyes are a very good uh, giveaway to us and body language. Um, Horses are creatures of habit. So what you teach them to do, they will do. Uh, If they learn bad habits, they continue to do those bad habits day in and day out until you break them of them. So really it's kind of... uh, it's kind of like a classroom full of first graders. Um, you know, <laughs> you treat awesome. every horse different, uh, but at the same time, you're trying to give them all the, the same set of values. Uh, it, it's it's probably very similar to raising a kid. You try to install good values in a horse, and uh, that's step one. Um, Usually, horses with bad habits don't tend to run very well. Um, they're, you know, you do get horses that refuse, and... and uh, you know, a big part of our job is uh, is taking deep breaths and not getting in a hurry with, with them. Um, there's ways that you know that when you've got them. Usually when you can get a horse to drop his head to you and mm-hmm. relax, then you know that you've got their full attention. That's when they learn. Uh, when a horse's head is high and they're turning away from you, they're refusing things like that. So really, it's it's uh, you, I can explain it um, probably a hundred different ways, but you do what works for you and um some you have to be more aggressive with it's just like training a dog or or uh anything like that I mean, i'm sure people have seen the dog whisperer show or the cat whisperer we do very similar things like that with problem horses uh, uh and you have to you have to have a a good frame of mind when you're dealing with a, a problem animal 
Mm-hmm. Well, what's an example of bad behavior, by the way? I'm looking at this first grade class of horses here. <laughs> what's an okay. example of bad behavior? Example of bad behavior is uh, striking. When okay. a horse tries to strike at a person mm-hmm. or at another horse or biting, um, horses do bite, and they bite very hard. Uh, they have, you know, a pretty large set of teeth. Um, horses will kick, um, and sometimes they'll just try to run right through you. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, those are very big examples of bad behaviors. Um, mainly, I would say most of some of the worst behavior that I've ever seen with horses is at the starting gate, um, the gate which they're entered into to start the race. Um, horses are claustrophobic, so when you kind of when you put them in a in a spot where where they they think that something's going to happen, they tend to explode. So uh, that starts with um, the lessons and the breathing and and things of that nature. So uh, basically, horses will flip over backwards. They'll rear mm-hmm. and fall over. Um, They'll jump on top of you. I've seen horses attack people. Um, it can be several different things, but those are a short list of examples of bad behavior. Mm-hmm. So as part of what you're trying to do, Blaine, is to eradicate or train it away from that behavior? Or, you know, the training piece, there's a lot going on there, but is that what you're part, trying to do is make sure that they don't do those things and to encourage them toward positive behavior? Certainly. Certainly. Okay. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Uh, um Horses with bad behavior, it, it's hard to uh, it's hard to deal with them on a bad on a a daily basis. A lot of times, those horses with bad behavior, we might take them off the racetrack and go to a farm where there's a lot less distraction to help work with them that way. And then once they they get better, a uh, smaller venue or a a less crowded place, then we'll reintroduce them to the racetrack, and and it happens a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on a horse to be a racehorse as far as, uh, you know, you still have to remember that they're animals um, and they're not human. So, you know, uh, cars and, and, and birds and things like that, uh, big grandstand, um, you know, it can be very frightening for horses to, to get used to things at the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And I have to believe that there are just some that just don't want to be a racehorse. Thank you very much. This was not my idea. I don't want to be here. When can I go home? Exactly. And <laughs> and you figure those things out uh, in due time. And, and uh, you know, a fortunate thing in our business is that there are other jobs for racehorses. Um, when a horse is done running, um, you don't just, you know, you don't just give them to anybody, really. I mean, you they go on and be event horses in a show show horse arena. Um, lots of them become champion show horse jumpers. Um, they do what they call dressage, which is, uh, it's, um, things are based on points. I don't know if you've ever seen a horse show or not, but, uh, and some of them just go on to be, uh, riding horses, you know, and they're all good for something. And, you know, my job is to try to make them the best, fastest racehorse they can and make no bones about it. There are horses that are, they're slow. I mean, the faster you are, usually the more class your horse is going to show, which in turn, the more money they'll make on the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And there's ones that just aren't fast at all and doesn't mean that they don't have any good in them. They're just not going to be racehorses. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about how you got started in this business, Blaine. It's, I always love to hear how people get their exposure and their start. So how did you get in the horse training business? Well, 
uh, pretty unique for me. Uh, my family was all involved in horse racing, uh, all the way from uh, grandfathers, uncles. Uh, so I was basically born into the business. Uh, my father, um, he was a jockey for 22 years, and he rode for my mother's dad. Uh, so that's how my folks had met, and uh, I was born and raised, uh, or I wasn't raised in Utah, but I was born there, and I was raised in Washington uh, in a little town called Skyway, and uh, I was basically raised on the backstretch of Long Acres Park, which was located in Renton, Washington. It's since now closed, but um, I was raised there, uh, and I knew I'd be a part of horse racing my whole life. I mean, every chance I got, I was at the barn with mom and dad, and uh um, you know, I started to ride horses when I was four years old. And, uh, so I knew at, at some point there was going to be, I was going to be involved in racing from a young age. I didn't know what, I mean, most kids raised on the backside. Every kid has a dream of being a jockey. Well, I got too big and, uh, decided I liked food and sugar a little too much. So, uh, was certainly too heavy because a jockey needs to weigh about a hundred and 10 to 115 pounds. Um, so that, that certainly wasn't for me, but, um, my dad turned to horse training in, uh, 1976 and, you know, shortly after I was born. Um, and so I was raised, uh, watching him train racehorses. So, you know, I got a firsthand look and my mother uh, was his assistant at that time. So basically, you know, I grew up, uh, just like, the kid at the family store, um, you know, firsthand knowledge, uh, wasn't exactly very book smart, but always had a knack with animals, whether it be dogs, cats, horses. Um, I always knew that you, you can tell a person can tell when, uh, when an animal likes their scent. And that's <laughs> really what horses are about. I know which horses like me and don't like me. Um, and most of it, you know, within the first five minutes, you get you introduce yourself to that horse, whether or not they trust you or not. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was pretty fortunate that, uh, I worked summers at the, at the barn, uh, cleaned stalls, uh, had my hands in horse manure since, you know, I was probably five <laughs> years old for gosh sakes, but, uh, been a terrific life for me. Um, that's how I was introduced. Uh, met my fiance through the same business, um, now my daughter spends a lot of time at the barn with me. Uh, my family's all involved, um, uh, from my mom and dad to my sisters. Uh, and uh, it's actually it's been very, very great for us. Mm. Well, I do want to cue that up really quick. We, we'll have to go into a break here in a probably a couple minutes or so. But can you tell us, Blaine, what are you passionate about this way of living? You clearly do love it. There, but can you describe for us what is it about this work that, that you love? Uh, the rewards and, um, you know, it's so satisfying when you see a horse reach their potential. Um, it, it just grows on me and just being able to work with my hands every day. I'm outside. I get to look at beautiful Mount Rainier every day while I'm watching my horses exercise in the morning. Uh, the fact that I don't have to live in a cubicle, um, or look at a computer screen the entire day. My brain is focused in on the animal, and I suppose what drives me the most is 
knowing the communication between myself and the animal, uh, mm. figuring that out. Um, I take great pride and joy in these big, beautiful, graceful animals, and it's so fun to uh, be rewarded with them doing all the work, I guess you mm. should say. I mean, I'm, certainly I'm doing some of the work, but uh, what, what really gratifies me is is uh, seeing them cross the line first or watching them lay their body down and knowing that six months prior to that, that horse didn't really even know how to gallop, you know, so you bring them through the whole process. And uh, that's probably the, the biggest reward is their self-satisfaction is, is that right there uh, from start to finish work. Hmm. What a great way to cue us up for the break, Blaine. I love that, and you may want to drill down more into that after the break. But it is time for our first break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Blaine Wright, who is calling in from Berkeley, California. He is a professional horse trainer operating a public racing stable in both Berkeley, California at Golden Gate Fields and also in Auburn, Washington at Emerald Downs. He's been talking about how he got into the business, and after the break, we're going to learn about some of the sacrifices he's had to make to stay in the business. Stay with us. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, 
back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. We're here with Blaine Wright, who is a professional horse trainer operating a public racing stable in both Berkeley, California, and also Auburn, Washington. He's joining us from Berkeley, California. Prior to the break, he was talking about how he got into the business, and now I want to get into more of the mechanics of what it is that he does, and maybe some of the things that you've been doing to you know, actually have to give up to stay there. So... Um, when you were talking about the things that you love, the things that you were passionate about there, Blaine, I, I really appreciate and applaud that you stayed true to what you were good at. You didn't want to ride a desk, as you say, didn't want to be in a cubicle, and you knew that you were good with horses, and, and you pursued that. I, I really appreciate that. So my next question is, Is do you think what you're doing is a way of life for you, or, or is it a job? Um, I'd probably have to say both. Um it's a way of life that I chose, um, but I do have strict guidelines that makes it a job for me. Training horses is one thing that is a way of life for me, but the business side of the business, that's certainly a job. Um, okay. I do book work just like the next guy. Uh, I run my own payroll. I pay my own taxes. I I don't have set hours, but... In that sense, yes, it's a job, but in the same sense, it's a it's a way of life as far as that's what I was born into. I certainly believe that, you know, God had a purpose for me. I don't know that if it was a horse, it was a, supposed to be a horse trainer, but, you know, that's what I truly believe. I, I always felt that I had a connection with the animal from a very young age. You know, from as far as I can remember, uh, I, w- I was on horseback before I remember uh, having those memories. You know, seeing those pictures, I don't remember myself being on the, on a horse. And, you know, my mom and dad always said that, you know, I was never scared uh, or anything like that. I just naturally, it came to me. Mm. So as as a person who works in the field of trying to help people connect with their ideal work, of course, that's what we look for. And I, again, as I said before, appreciate that you listened to that voice. You heeded that voice. Uh, and so to that end, is there any other career that you might compare what you do today to? Is there some other career that kind of aligns with what you're doing today that would be interesting or may help us understand how you perceive this field? I would, you know, I, I can... I consider my job, uh, as far as the training portions, to being a, uh, a schoolroom teacher, probably for elementary kids, um, because you, at, at their level, I would believe that they have to figure out ways to teach each kid. Not every kid is book smart. Other kids, you have to adapt different methods in order for them to learn. Um, you know, I can remember... Uh, my school teacher telling my mother, this kid, he's not reading fast enough. Well, it wasn't that I wasn't reading. I wasn't interested. So we got a, my mom got a teacher that knew how to get my attention in a different way. Um, so I, I would compare it to a, to a school teacher that has a, a group of kids that has to sit down and think, okay, Alice, she does things book smart way. It's going to be real simple. She gets it. She clicks real good. But Johnny, on the other hand, his attention span is out of nowhere. I'm going to have to get to him a different way. So I would think that probably the closest thing would be a 
an elementary school teacher or some type of a, a baseball coach or football coach, or something, something of that nature. Mm. I think that is a delightful comparison and one that really does help us understand a bit more about your world. I, I thought when you said that, I, and I could envision a room full of first graders or elementary schoolers in your in your classroom. That really makes sense to me. And I've got limited exposure working with horses. I did have one growing up, but I wasn't a field of them like you work with. And they weren't high performance like he wasn't high performance like yours are. But that that analogy really makes sense to me. It helps me understand your world better. So thanks uh-huh. for that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the sacrifices you've had to, to make to, to be in this career. What I appreciate about a little bit about, and I don't know a whole lot about this just yet, but I do appreciate that you have made sacrifices. And what I've learned in my research is that for people to have meaningful work, a lot of times it does require sacrifice. So what are we dealing with here? What kind of sacrifices have you had to deal with? Well, um, I'd say first and foremost that uh, I spend a lot of time away from home. Um, especially where I operate two businesses. Uh, I've got a fiancé and a 16-month-old daughter in Washington, and so I'd say the first first sacrifice would be that, um, you know, I only get to spend half the week with, with both of them. So um, I'm not the only one sacrificing there either. Both of them are making sacrifices in order for me to live my life and at the same time be able to provide. So... Uh, that would be one. Uh, the hours that I work are are really unbelievable. I rise at 4 a.m., and sometimes I don't get to bed till 9 o'clock. Um, and I would say that some days we spend 16 hours at, at the barn. Uh, so there's not a lot of extracurricular activities. Um, other sacrifices that, that we make are living and working out of state. Um, it's it actually, uh, not to get off the subject, but it cost me one marriage already uh, from being gone too much. That's um, a sacrifice. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, and really, uh, I guess maybe I'm, maybe some people would call me a loner because I'm so consumed with my passion and with my work. But uh, I don't know if that's a sacrifice or not. Uh, I don't tend to go out you know we don't do bar hop and things like that my my life consists of uh horses day in and day out um you know I, I, sometimes you think do i ever get any time to myself so i i guess i'm sacrificing my whole life at the same time um it's not a normal way of living really but at the same time i never envisioned myself doing anything else Hmm. So what is a typical day like for you? I know that today, I think I'm capturing you from, you're actually driving from Berkeley to Auburn, Washington today, correct, Blaine? No, I am going to be driving from Berkeley to a city called Pleasanton. Uh, Okay, gotcha. Yeah, um, which is about an hour away. Okay, gotcha. I was thinking you were doing the the big commute between states today. So, well, then what is a typical day like for you? What You mentioned a bit about how you got involved and a bit about what you do, but and I know a typical day is a you know may vary a lot for you, but what are some of the things that happen for you on a regular basis? A uh, typical day for me, it would be uh, I usually rise about four a.m., um, start to the barn about four thirty, and 
usually around 5 a.m. Um, I'm working on what we call a training chart, and a training chart is a booklet of uh, basically it's a, it's a monthly planner, and I have each individual horse down in that Monday uh, monthly planner on their own individual line, and I'm putting together their training exercise for that day. Uh, so I'm there about an hour before the racetrack opens. The racetrack opens at 6 o'clock, and at this point I'm checking horses' legs, trying to find out who ate up all their food. Uh, we're checking temperatures um, for horses. If a horse didn't eat up, first thing we do is take a temperature, make sure they're not sick. Uh, if, you, if, if you train a sick horse, they're not like humans where they can say, hey, I don't feel good today. You have to read between the lines and find out, okay, this horse's temperature is slightly elevated. We're not going to exercise because exercise will stimulate a higher temperature and the horse will be sick. So um, track opens at 6. Uh, we start to the racetrack. Uh, I got two exercise, uh, what we call gallop boys. Um, we got 34 horses here at Golden Gate Fields in Albany, and um, so those kids will get on probably about 12 to 14 horses apiece uh, every day. And from the hours of 6 to 9.30, I'm usually watching them gallop through binoculars, uh, timing workouts, or essentially just watching them jog or gallop. And... Uh, I travel back and forth to the barn. When a horse gets done, I walk back to the barn. We go back. I chat with uh, the gallop boy, how they feel. You know, you certainly, if, if those kids get to know them on a daily basis just like I do. So a lot of what I do, I get the info from the people that are on their backs. And if I'm not willing to listen to them, I'm not going to be successful. And that goes with their grooms as well. And horses are just like humans that train every day. You have your own aches and your own ailments, so things aren't perfect every day. It's not uh, red, white, and blue. So uh, if a horse isn't looking good, I make a note of that. Um, at some point, my veterinarian's going to come by the barn. I'm going to say, okay, we've got four horses to look at. They didn't feel right. Uh, one of them might have been noticeably sore, so we'll certainly uh, be addressing that and trying to figure out how to get them better. Um, mainly time usually heals all wounds, just like, just like humans. So up until about 9.30, we're training. Then after training is done, um, go back through the barn. Uh, we're looking at individual horses. And at that time, I'll probably start looking at my, what they call a condition book. And a condition book is a series of three weeks, um, races the individual days for that particular racing card and i'll be looking to enter horses in certain races um, a lot of what my job is is to find out where this horse fits class-wise and just to give you a brief overview of that horses start racing when they're two and they can run until they're 12 years old some states it's 10 it differs everywhere you go but the bottom line is you can't start racing them until they're actually two years old from their birth date so two-year-olds only run with two-year-olds and three-year-olds generally only run with three-year-olds and then they have what you call up and that's horses that are from age three to all the way up to let's say age 12 um, and then generally Girls don't run with boys, although in certain circumstances they do. Uh, it's not 
what I can tell you is a boy cannot enter in a girl's race, but a girl can enter in a boy's race. That's fair. Yeah. 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 So, um, big part of my job is to find that class level. Um, we have what we call claiming levels and claiming levels usually range from 2,500 on up to, uh, 50,000. And what a claim is, that means that, uh, if I have a horse in a claiming $10,000 race, that means any licensed owner or trainer in the state of California can buy that horse for 10000 out of that race. Hmm. Now, they don't actually get to have the purse money that that horse is running for that particular day, but I'm putting a $10,000 price tag on my horse. So if my neighbor, Joe Smith, wants him, he can fill out what they call a claim slip and buy that horse. So he would, you know, I get to run him today, but as soon as the gate opens, it's actually his horse. Hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. So, um, yeah. So some horses uh, we have in the range of twenty five hundred to fifty thousand. They also have what they call allowance races, and those horses are not eligible to be claimed. And the whole idea is to have the best horses you can. Um, I'm pretty fortunate where I've got a pretty mixed stable between males and females and bottom level claimers all the way up to high level claimers. Uh, so from about 9.30 till 10.30, 11 o'clock, I'm usually working on entries or I'm fielding phone calls from uh, my clients that particular day. Uh, it's amazing how people fret over their animals. Uh, <laughs> I won't lie to you. Uh, that's probably the most nerve-wracking part of my whole job is dealing with clients. Um, mm -hmm. It's like dealing with parents but, if you were an elementary yeah. school teacher. <laughs> I mean, exactly. They're footing the bill, and they got every right to call. And, um, you know, certainly nobody likes to deliver bad news to anybody. You always want to have good news. Um, but mainly um, that'll take up to an hour. I uh, usually leave my phone on up to 5 p.m. Usually after 5 p.m., I try not to take phone calls from clientele. Um, you know, they have their time, and I also have my time, so I've made that a pretty much a rule to try not to answer phone calls on business after 5 p.m. And then normally um, about noon or 1 o'clock, um, the races start. So I could not have any horses in, and I can either go to the races and be a fan or I might not even go to the races at all. I might go home and mow the, mow the yard. Um, sometimes I have a horse in the first and the last race, which makes for a long day. So uh, just to give you an overview of what um, a race day looks like, um, basically we go to the paddock, we saddle the horses, and then I give the jockey instructions and leg them up. And from there, it's you know everything's pretty much out of my hands. And then obviously we run them and, Try to make money with them. Yeah, that was very so. succinct, Blaine. And and you know that was an incredible way for me to at least understand your world. And it's it's incredible. There's a lot happening in your day. That's just a lot yeah. to deal with. Yeah. Um, and I and think it takes a fair amount of stamina. Yes. Certainly, and it takes <laughs> um, it's seven days a week. Um, I've been trying to be pretty disciplined and take uh, at least a half day on Tuesdays, um, but. I know I start getting run down. Sometimes I forget what city I'm in. And, uh, you know, uh, it's amazing how I've learned to – I can fall asleep on an airplane now 
um, before we even take off. I mean, it's like I, that's kind of my, my nap time in there. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Well, if you, uh, if, you, if you sit still long enough, I'm sure. Yeah, I travel uh, probably three days a week. I usually spend, um, uh, well, let's see, Sunday afternoon or usually late late Sunday mornings. I, I fly to Seattle, and I spend uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I either come back to California Wednesday night or Thursday morning. So, um, you know, I'm, tra- I'm in an airplane three out of the seven days a week. Uh, oh. So that, that can I, – I know that when the uh, stewardesses start knowing my name, that I'm traveling quite a bit. so mm, Indeed. Uh, Perfect time for a yep. quick break here, Blaine. Let me uh, let okay. me cue you up for that. So I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Blaine Wright, who is a professional horse trainer operating a public racing stable in both Berkeley, California at Golden Gate Fields and also in Auburn, Washington at Emerald Downs. We've been learning about what's, what, he, what he does day to day, which is amazing. It makes me tired thinking about it. After the break, we'll talk more about how he decides to race a particular horse and also about the recent Triple Crown winner, first time in 37 years. Stay with us. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Want more positivity in your life? Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan, and Heather Brittany for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts. Join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground. Star Style. Be the star you are. Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lend us your ears. It's power time. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Blaine Wright, who is a professional horse trainer operating a public racing stable in Berkeley, California at Golden Gate Fields, and also in Auburn, Washington at Emerald Downs. He is dialing in this morning from Berkeley, California for today's conversation. He's been sharing his day-to-day, which has been quite involved here, and on the break we were talking a bit more about what that really means. So he was explaining to me that a lot of his day is hours and mental work, not physical work. Did you want to comment more on that before we keep going, Blaine? Yeah. Um, I just want to say to the to the viewer, uh, I have the manpower that works for me to do the physical labor at this point in my business. Most of it is, is mental work. Uh, some of that mental work would be just figuring out where I think a horse will fit best. Some of that mental work could also be the particular owner that owns that horse, how to deal with them um, from a business standpoint. And also some people, you know, they don't take it real good if you call them and tell them their horse isn't that good. And you have <laughs> to figure out how to, how to grace a person without hurting their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be very hard. But, but most of the stuff is uh, it's very, very mind there's a lot of mind thinking into it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where we can put this horse to get maximum of them. And uh, it's not so much the physical demands anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, now, speaking of the, the actual racing bed of what you do, the, the focus of, of what you're up to here, how do you decide where to race a particular horse? What's involved there? Well, um, it can be several different factors. The first factor I'll tell you is uh, is um, it's based off that condition book that we that we wrote or we were talking about earlier. Uh, that's a series of races for uh, three weeks usually um, on those particular race days. Um, basically, how I figure out where to run a horse that has never ran before. Um, a lot of it is timed workouts in the morning time. We work them in company just in uh, company is the same as, let's say, having scrimmage. We have scrimmages in the morning, and you can certainly, that's how you find out who the better horses are versus the horses that just aren't as good. Um, so that's how I figure out how to run them. Um, another key ingredient is the purchase price of the horse. You know, we have horses in our barn that they give 100000 for. Um, so, obviously, I'm not going to offer them for a price the first couple times because sometimes the horse can fool you, too. Uh, they can show nothing in the morning time when you're going through your scrimmage, and then you put them in game day situation, and they're just like the basketball players and the football players. Athletes rise to the occasion and figure out how to get it done, you know, the best best athletes are that way so um more often than not it's all about running them two three times and figuring out can we go up from here do we have to come down more often than not you're coming down uh and and down by meaning class level coming down instead of raising the class level it's easier to come down than go up because obviously if you go up your competition's getting stiffer so you have to have a pretty good horse to do that. But that's kind of a brief overview on on how we figure out where to claim 
uh, where to run horses at, at that particular level. If I run them a couple times and they run, let's say there's uh, 10 horses in each race, and we're running eighth or ninth and we're getting beat a long ways, I want to come down a couple class levels and get them in with a, a different type of horse. doesn't mean that horse is no good. just means I need to get them to a different level where the competition same as he is, so it gives him an opportunity to make a placing, which in turn, if you place one, two, three, you're making money for your clients. So that's the idea of finding the class level. Okay. And I have to just ask, this is just uh, being, having been around horses and also enjoying animals. Do horses understand when they win or when they place like that? Do they, do they have a sense of pride about that, do you think? Or what's your thought about I believe, it? I believe that a high percentage of horses do. Mm-hmm. You know, horses have been labeled for years. People always say horses are dumb. They're actually very, very intelligent animals. Mm-hmm. Way more intelligent than the average person will give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you don't realize it. That's where my biggest job comes through is trying to understand them. What makes them what makes them give maximum effort? And sometimes with horses, maximum effort is still slow, but that doesn't mean that horse isn't any good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's actually great. It's uh, it's very fulfilling when you have a problem horse that nobody can get anything out of, and then someone gives that horse to you, and you actually get something done with them. Very gratifying. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then, along those lines, then, how do you pick a jockey for a horse? Uh, pretty simple. Um, jockeys have agents uh, that shop their business. Um, basically, uh, you're, you're always wanting to get the best jockey you can. However, jocks are just like trainers. Some jockeys fit horses, some horses, and some jockeys don't fit horses. Uh, horses can feel the tension in their hands, so... Um, if a horse has a soft mouth, they might not want a jockey with heavy hands. Um, but in a, in a brief overview, a jock comes to your barn. He'll ask you if he can do any help for you that morning. And sometimes you need him, sometimes you don't. Uh, a lot of times they'll they'll um, exercise your horse in the morning for you. And basically, I go to their agent and say, "Hey, I, I got a horse to run in this race." Uh, he'll either, he, what he's trying to do is ride the best horse he can that will give them the best opportunity to win the race, just as same as I'm trying to find the best level for my horse to win a race without getting them claimed through the claim box. So uh, it works both ways. But basically I just ask them, hey, can you ride my horse? And they either tell me yes or no. If they can't, then I shop to somebody else. Hmm. It's an awful lot of coordination a day for, for all, it seems like you have an awful lot of plates spinning in the air in each one of your days, Blaine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for certain. And, then, uh, and you know, I don't even think we're actually touch, touching the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I'm kind of giving you the, a general overview. So if you could imagine this times 30 horses, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then times 60 horses. I mean, you know, a lot of my day right now, Elise, is... I'm on the phone with my assistants in Seattle, and I'm keeping an overview on those 30 horses in Seattle at the same time. So, um, you know, where I'm dealing with my clientele on the telephone every few days, I have to keep good good 
communication with my assistants. So then in turn, I can tell them people that own them horses about how things are going with them. And then it's vice versa. When I'm in Washington, I'm doing the same thing in California. So mm-hmm. pretty time consuming. Mm-hmm. Well, it's impressive. It's really impressive to get a get a little bit of a purview into your day or your life, I should say. So yeah. this has been very illuminating for me. Uh, I don't know that I that I could do what you do. It's an, it's it's quite a bit. I, the animal part would be quite interesting, but you really do juggle a lot. And you're right; it's a lot of mental stuff. It's a lot of uh, keeping track of a lot of details. It sounds like to me too. Certainly. Hmm. Well, let's let's switch gears here, if we can, Blaine. I know that we, we've we've recently had a triple crown winner, the first time in 37 years. I'm not sure that I totally understand the significance of that. What what does that mean? A triple crown winner means that uh, that horse won the Kentucky Derby. Then two weeks later, he won in a different state, a race called the Preakness. And then three weeks later in a different state, and he won the Belmont. And that's called the Triple Crown. Um, That race is for three-year-olds only, male or female. And it's been done, I think... I think 14 times now in the history of racing. Uh, we mm. haven't had a Triple Crown winner for 37 years. Uh, 1978, a horse named Affirmed won the Triple Crown. Um, it's very taxing on an animal to run at the highest level and run back in two weeks. Um, very, very demanding. Uh, travel time for horses, it's not like a human where you can just jump in a car and you can pull over, grab something to eat, stretch your legs. Traveling's a whole lot harder on a on a horse than it is for a human. So that adds to it, and plus the level of competition. Um, that's like running in the Super Bowl every two weeks or the NBA championship. You see how these athletes get run down. Uh, but it takes a champion to do that, and it's been – it's been hard. Uh, it's only done, you know, been done a handful of times. So there's a huge significance of it in the racing world. Um, you know, Secretariat, who won in 72, he made the cover of Times Magazine. I mean, I think wow. he's the only horse wow. that ever that ever done that. So American Pharaoh, um, he defied the odds. Uh, he certainly looked the best, and he ran the best. Uh, they... It looked like to me going into the Kentucky Derby that he certainly was the horse to beat. Um, I thought he was physically stronger, and I'm sure that he had to be mentally stronger than his competition in order to get it done. Mm. You know, it's inspiring just listening to this. I can tell you that I know for a lot of people they shed tears when the Triple Crown winner was announced here just recently. And just very, very touching, moving moment for anybody in the business. So, um, oh, yeah. appreciate- I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it because the significance for our sport um, is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing and also helping us understand the historical significance. What does it really mean? For those of us on the outside, it just looks like a great um, physical event. And yeah, it's something to applaud, but to understand the significance really is is helpful. So thanks for the history on that too. Mm-hmm. One thing I also really need to know, because I, you know, we've been talking about how you are connecting to your work and what you like about it and what you do in a day. Let's talk about the money piece, the financial piece. How in the world do you make money in this business? Well, basically, I'm a public horse trainer, so that means that uh, anybody, I, I accept 
any kind of any clientele into my market. I wouldn't say I accept anybody. We go through a uh, obviously you don't want to surround yourself with bad people. Um, so, but basically, I charge a daily rate per horse, and included in that daily rate is going to be the employee that takes care of them, the exercise boy that gets on top of their back, feed, bedding, supplements. Uh, that the horse is getting medicines that we're putting on their legs, my general um, overhead, basically. And that also includes insurance. Uh, and then I make a little bit off the top, um, usually about 10 to 15%. Some days I make more. So like, like if a horse, they don't train every day. Yeah, they probably train five out of the seven days. So two of those days, I'm not paying their exercise boy. So that's money in my pocket. Um, but basically, when a horse runs for a purse um, in the state of California, let's say the purse is $10,000 for that particular race. The winner of that race gets 60% of that purse. Okay, so that would be 6000 Then of that 6000 the owner gets... 80%, the trainer gets 10%, and the jockey gets 10%. So I would essentially make $600 off that race. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where my extra money comes from. That's that's sort of my bonus. And so that's how we make our money. Now, if they run second or third, like second money pays 20%, third, third money pays 15% of the total purse. And so there's how we, we make our 10% off running first, second, or third. I myself do not charge for um, for fourth place money or below. Uh, some people do. I don't uh, because I don't think it's fair to the owner because he's making less money at that point. So the only time I ever charge for fourth money is in a race that's $50,000 or more. Hmm. Well, we are really just coming to the end here, so I, I'll have to wrap it up here, Blaine. But I, I want to really thank you for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule to make time for this interview. I have really enjoyed getting to learn more about the business, about your experience connected to it. So really appreciate you making time to jump on the phone and talk with me. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. So just a few things to call out about what I got from this conversation, Blaine, that I just really want to make sure that our listeners hear and pay attention to is just, you know, your sheer persistence. I know you've had to work other jobs over the years to stay in the business and pay the bills along the way, and I appreciate that. Uh, that you also, that you really stuck to what you knew you were good at. You knew you were good with animals and that, and you found a way to make sure that you stuck with that and you didn't ignore that heed where a lot of people might actually do that. I appreciate that and think that's something very useful for our listeners. Uh, that you knew that you had a connectedness to animals. You knew you had a gift with animals, too, that I, I think is, is wonderful. Um, and then I really also appreciated that you were you helped us understand what you do by saying that it's a lot like being an elementary school teacher. Most of us, that helps us better into your world. And I thought that was a brilliant analogy to, to share with us. So thank you for this wonderful, illuminating conversation. Uh, listeners, I look forward to convening with you next week again on the, on the show. And remember that work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.